0: This is Bobby Guy with the 10 Minute Health Bizcast. This is album 3, track 9. Today is our last track on album 3, and we're talking about how to predict the winners and losers over the next couple of decades in U.S. healthcare. In other words, we're applying the model we've built over the course of Album 3 to understand what companies are likely to succeed and fail as healthcare evolves. I want to start today with a real story from a recent deal. Before the pandemic, I was at a meeting in New York at the offices of one of the top Wall Street investment banks. We had about 30 people in the room, including about six investment bankers. We were exploring the potential for my client to grow by merging with several smaller healthcare companies. The idea being that with the new, bigger company, the whole would be worth much more than the sum of the parts. But the investment bankers weren't very interested. My client was a healthcare provider, and the bankers thought that it would be hard to create exceptional value and cost savings in a mainline healthcare sector. At one point, My client said, we're managing more than 10,000 patients, and we have the patient data. Our plan is to use the data to become more efficient and best in class. In a moment, the mood in the room changed. Suddenly, there was a flurry of activity, and the bankers were very interested. Oh, you have the data? So this is a healthcare data play. Well, we can absolutely take that to market. I was fascinated. This story illustrates an important point for understanding winners and losers in the new healthcare world. In an internet world, the foundation of good healthcare is going to be good data, and winners are going to have the tools to turn that data into information. This is digital health transformation, and it's already happening. The major Silicon Valley and Seattle tech companies all have health divisions. Who am I talking about? Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook. I could go on. Recently, the news hit that hospital giant HCA has a data deal with Google. Digital health is going to change healthcare significantly, and it's going to be a transformation that happens fast. There's an old saying that all healthcare is local, but data is going to make it national. Really, you ask? Yes. Digital healthcare is the enabler of paying for value, providing the best care, and outlining best practices. With the data, we can see the patterns much more easily. For example, where are good outcomes happening consistently, and where are they not? Who's providing knee replacements cost-efficiently with a high success rate, and who's not? The data is going to change payment in health care, and that's a big deal. If we can see the patterns, we're going to be able to pay for excellent or good care, and not pay for okay or poor care. As a country, we're trying to manage cost and provide excellent outcomes, and it's really hard to do that and take payment risk on patient health unless you have the data and the ability to put it to use. A decade or two ago, many providers tried taking on risk in capitated payments, the flat fee payment model to provide all the care needed for a patient for the year. Most of the providers lost their shirts on that deal because they didn't have the data they needed to make informed pricing decisions. When it comes to predicting healthcare outcomes and costs, you can't wing it. So digital health is going to be a major divider of winners and losers. The providers who find ways to get out in front of this will do well. Providers who do not will have difficulty keeping up over the long term. At business schools, one of the favorite case studies is BlackBerry the company that pioneered the remote handheld email and phone communication device, and then disappeared because it failed to see the broad potential for phone apps. Apple integrated everything into phones through the App Store, and BlackBerry could never catch back up. Providers need to be working hard to make sure this doesn't happen to them. Healthcare is already much more of a digital business than most people realize, and we've barely even gotten started. I have one more point to make on this. Who else has the data? The payers. They have the data on all the patients they insure. This is one of the reasons that we're seeing consolidation, where payers are buying and building their own providers, their own pharmacies, their own telemedicine, and their own behavioral care, because payers have the data to help predict healthcare costs. Think about it. They do it every year when they give a quote for the policy price. Providers are going to be at a competitive disadvantage to payers unless providers learn how to mine the data. Providers have got to get to the point where they can confidently take risk. What we mean by this is providers get paid for value and outcomes, not just seeing a patient. And this requires data. Big data is a big lift. Whoever can become the supplier of the best patient data and actuarial solutions to the providers will be a huge winner and will sell tech and software to everyone. Right now, this is a huge opportunity. Silicon Valley recognizes this and is chasing it, but no one quite knows how to do it yet. Next, I want to turn to the paradigm we like to use at the Health BizCast when trying to predict winners and losers in healthcare. We call it the acuity principle. And we first developed the principle in 2014 when Obamacare was taking effect. Obamacare was intended to provide more and better health care to more people, a laudable goal, the safety net. But the only way to do that without bankrupting the country or rationing care is to become remarkably more efficient at how we do health care. And that's where the acuity principle comes in. The acuity principle says that the best way to do this is to move all care to the lowest acuity setting that's appropriate for the care. You don't get treated for a cold at the emergency room. You get treated at an urgent care center, which is a low acuity setting. Likewise, you don't get treated for a gunshot wound at an urgent care center. For that, you get treated at the emergency room, which is a high acuity setting. If you want to lower costs and provide Goldilocks utilization, you provide care in the lowest acuity setting that is appropriate. The acuity principle has something to say about both high acuity and low acuity providers and their futures. Let's take high acuity first. High acuity providers are traditional health settings, like hospitals and nursing homes, and a lot of the services that they've provided over the years are now being provided in lower acuity settings. Medical advances are making it possible for us To provide lots of complicated solutions in low-acuity settings like urgent care and the home. This is going to continue happening. Does this mean high-acuity healthcare providers are going to do poorly? No. Until we get to the level of sophistication of the tricorder from Star Trek, there will always be a place for hospitals and nursing homes. Here's what we have to understand about high-acuity settings. There's going to be significant consolidation, especially in the rural space. We're going to move to a strong hub-and-spoke model, or more likely, a major hub, minor hub, and spoke. Where we have high-acuity centers of excellence as the major hub, mid-acuity minor hubs in the secondary and tertiary markets around the major cities, and low-acuity spokes out in the rural communities. In addition, the safety net for patients that pays for healthcare is very important to the hospital and nursing home communities. Why? Because if there are enough new lives coming into the healthcare system with insurance, it will make up for many of the services lost to the lower acuity settings. We're not going to stop getting more efficient, but if we fix our distribution problem, it helps sustain the high acuity providers we need Hospitals and high acuity providers should be lobbying hard to fix the patchwork quilt and obtain a broader U.S. safety net, because right now, they're the ones bearing a lot of the cost of not having one, and they're the ones missing out on a lot of the revenue. And the COVID pandemic taught us something significant. It taught us that we're underpaying hospitals for the things that are most important to us, Hospitals barely break even, if at all, taking care of COVID patients. Instead, what we discovered during COVID is that hospitals at capacity were struggling financially because they only make money on elective and quasi-elective procedures that are paid for by private insurance, and none of those were getting performed during the pandemic. Without the CARES Act money from the federal government that went to hospitals last year, many would have failed or gone bankrupt as a result of COVID. We need to find a way to pay hospitals a living wage for the things that we value as a society. One more point about high acuity. The high acuity providers like hospitals are diversifying into low acuity. This is why you see urgent care centers under hospital brands. And this is why so many doctors are now employed by hospitals. Another reason that we've passed the tipping point and less than 50% of doctors work in independent practices. So... Some very smart hospitals and senior living providers in the high acuity space are working hard to expand their existing dominance and influence in healthcare into low acuity settings. It's a very good strategy. Now let's shift to low acuity. This is urgent care, outpatient services, doctor's offices, well care, telemedicine, home health, home care, and similar settings. This is where the explosive growth is happening, because there's so much innovation here. The reimbursement dollars are swiftly moving from high acuity to low acuity settings. And while each low acuity service is lower cost, there will be a lot more services provided to patients in low acuity settings over the next couple of decades. So there will be a lot more dollars here. Low acuity success is all about accessibility. The low-acuity providers that win will be those who are consumer-savvy, customer-oriented, and tech-savvy. If patients have choice, they will choose to go to the places that provide them the best experience and whose bills are the most consistent, predictable, transparent, and comprehensible. Accessibility means the phone, like telemedicine, without huge weights. It means house calls. It means going to locations like shopping centers. Finally, for both high and low acuity providers, the winners will have one thing in common. They're going to be very good at communication and follow-up, something that healthcare traditionally has not been very good at. Communication and follow-up are keys to providing coordinated, comprehensive care instead of transactional care. The winners will be those providing coordinated care because this translates into wellness and prevention, and it keeps low acuity problems from becoming high acuity ones. I'll close with this. There are three primary reasons that we treat people with low acuity problems in high acuity settings. The first is that healthcare often doesn't work in real time. For example, the only place open on Christmas day is the ER, so that's the only place I can go for a painful sinus infection. In addition, sometimes it can take so long to get an appointment for a small problem that by the time we get there, it's a big problem that requires emergency treatment. The second reason is that our insurance system has so many gaps, it makes healthcare care decisions too complicated for patients. They say, I don't know where to go, so I'll wait and hope my problem goes away, and then it gets worse, so they end up in the ER. Or, they don't have the money, so they just go to the ER, where Mtala makes it illegal for the hospital to turn them away without stabilizing them. The third reason is that our payment systems have incentivized care in high acuity settings. Because until recently, we've almost always paid more for the same service done in a high acuity setting than we would pay if it was performed in low acuity like urgent care. If all care is really moving to the lowest acuity setting that's appropriate for the care, and it is, then you can bet money we're going to be working hard as a country to eliminate these three hurdles that cause people to go to high acuity settings for low acuity problems. Healthcare is moving to real time. We're going to create a safety net. We need to replace the crazy fragmented billing methods and the U S system is going to pay for value instead of for a transaction. The next two decades are going to be an adventure when it comes to U S healthcare and the arc will bend toward excellence. The twin pillars of healthcare change will be competition and distribution, and there will be a huge opportunity for leaders and entrepreneurs to build highly successful companies that make healthcare better. This concludes Album 3. We look forward to having you join us for Album 4 shortly as we resume interviews with guests who are changing U.S. healthcare. This has been the 10 Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks very much for joining us.